This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is a Pro Wrestling Illustrated podcast. I am your host, PWI senior writer Al Castle, back once again with my co-host, Dan Murphy. How are you? I'm doing well. Real quick, uh, we're recording this on February 5th. Do you remember where you were 31 years ago today? February 5th. Okay, let me do some math here. Uh... No, <laughs> I was 10. I was. I was. I, I can remember. I I went to bed with with tears on my cheeks, wondering if PWI was going to strip the WWF of world title status after the uh, Hebner fiasco oh, on wow. NBC. Oh, is that today? Okay. It's always <laughs> today, like a big February day on 5th. the calendar. You know, you see it pop up like all How over Facebook. How much for the plastic surgery, brother? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, uh, yeah. When... Andre won the belt and vacated it, and it was vacant for WrestleMania four. That's still the the most watched wrestling match uh, in the United States ever, right? Is that right? I mean, it did huge numbers. I believe so. Yeah, yeah, I believe it was. Yeah, I don't know what tops that. I mean, it was just a total, totally different uh, landscape in in terms of uh, there weren't as many TV channels as it was easier for a, a network TV show to get a huge rating uh, back then. So you're talking prime time. I think this was a Friday night, right? Because this was not Saturday night's main event. This was the main event. Uh, so you took yep. a primetime NBC. Uh, yeah. And and the Hogan-Andre rematch was the rematch of the, the biggest match ever, pretty much, uh, in WWE. So, wow. So uh, Where you can have a match end on a double underhook suplex. Like, yes. <laughs> that yeah. was the finish to that match. <laughs> well, Andre was pretty much hobbled at that point, right? I mean, that's yeah. about as much as he could do. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for, for bringing that up. That could be a fun feature, doing uh, maybe uh, This Day in History when we record. Um, and oh, yeah. uh, a lot going on in, in the current uh, time. Um, since we last spoke, we had the Royal Rumble, uh, two Royal Rumbles, in fact, and now have a better idea of uh, where we're headed uh, for WrestleMania. Not a lot of surprises, uh, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. And then later on the show, uh, we're going to be hearing from uh, an old friend of the show, Gabe Sapolsky, the... Uh, I don't know exactly what his title is. I mean, we know him as kind of the Evolve guy, the founder of Ring of Honor. I believe now he is like the head of uh, WWN, which includes uh, Evolve and and some other indie uh, leagues. And and over the last couple of years, I mean, one of his important roles is uh, kind of creating a feeder system for, for WWE now that uh, Evolve has this real affiliation with WWE. Uh, and, and NXT specifically. So uh, we talk a bit about that, the growing relationship between WWE uh, and uh, Evolve, some concerns from fans about, you know, maybe some fans not too happy to see their local indie uh, having a, a growing influence from, you know, corporate WWE wrestling. So uh, we go over all of that, uh, a fun discussion. This was several weeks ago, just finally getting to uh, run it now. Uh, right now, let's talk about, uh, oh, you know, one more thing, uh, Dan, and I just learned about this. Maybe you knew about this before I did, but we got something new to plug. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. PWTs. 
Oh, yes. Okay. I wasn't sure if that announcement was ready. Okay. It, yeah, it go is. for it. So, uh, you know, you bring up uh, the, the old Pro Wrestling Illustrated from 31 years ago. And, and actually, I, uh, I just ha- I had a birthday. And on my birthday, went to uh, Wrestling Universe, which, which is a, a local store here in Queens. And they just have tons of wrestling stuff. And uh, blew a fair amount of cash on old Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazines. Uh, and one of the things you'd find in all those, some of those old magazines, certainly from the 80s, were the Pro Wrestling Illustrated t-shirt, the that iconic uh, logo uh, that's on the cover of all our magazines. Uh, 30-something years ago, we used to sell these. And for better or for worse, other people have been selling it with, without our permission, not a, an officially uh, licensed product uh, for a number of years. Hell snow. <laughs> <Hell> snow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and there's some takeoffs and stuff. Um, but but I think yeah. uh, uh, some of us were, were I, I shouldn't say in Stu's ear, because I think Stu was always on board, but it was convincing some other people. And it finally got done. So uh, is it PWTs? I want to make sure I'm promoting the, the right uh, website. Uh, or is it Pro Wrestling Tees? ProWrestlingTees.com. Pro Wrestling Tees. Yep. Yes, that's it. ProWrestlingTees.com. Uh, you can pick up your official Pro Wrestling Illustrated shirt. It is um, the same shirt from all those years ago. You can get it in different colors, the logo or the shirt. Looks really fantastic. I can't wait to get mine. Um, I think you and me might be getting together sometime in April, right, for uh, a convention here in, in uh, my area, Jersey-ish? I'm not going to be able to make You're it. Not, okay. uh, there is a one going on there. Yeah, because it's uh, it's the day before I'm going to Vegas for the Cauliflower Alley Club. Okay. So I'd have to be I'd flying not be there out, by myself. Uh, east and then flying west. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's just, just globetrotting. I'm sure we'll find someone. Probably me and Brady sitting at a table or something like that. Uh, but I hope to be wearing my official Pro Wrestling Illustrated t-shirt then. And uh, you can get yours at Pro Wrestling Tees. Uh, dot com. Everybody's got a t-shirt. I think we were long overdue in having one. Um, so definitely uh, go and pick it up. Uh, and while you got the computer open or the phone open, go to pwi-online.com to pick up the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Uh, I've got it in front of me. I actually ended up getting two because my I had a male lady who was uh, a sweet lady that had just retired. And so we got somebody new and uh, this new genius leaves my PWI out in the rain. Uh, wasn't happy about that, so I uh, got a, a replacement, and it is here in front of me. It's got the lovely Becky Lynch on the cover. She is uh, PWI's Woman of the Year, and it is the Achievement Awards issue, the year in wrestling. Uh, we've talked about it in the last couple of weeks. Uh, it, it's a big one. It's got Wrestler of the Year, Match of the Year, you name it, um, all the awards. I look back on 2018, which was a very newsworthy year. Um, and to get it, go to pwi-online.com. You can buy the one issue. You can subscribe. Um, the longer you subscribe, the deeper the savings. And uh, we're just about ready to put a bow on the next issue, right? What, what have you got coming up in, in this next issue? The next issue, it is the report cards, okay. uh, our annual report cards feature, which is always uh, a tricky one to put together because we, we try to limit it to the top 100 wrestlers, um, you know, not just WWE, but Impact, Independence, International, and assign everybody a letter grade. Um, and it's tough because, I mean, you're, you're already kind of looking at the best of the best. I mean, if they're in the top hundred, they're, they're doing pretty well. Um, but you have to really kind of look at their momentum over the past year and, and be, you know, a little bit tough and see how you'd grade them. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it really kind of shows a, a barometer real quickly of, uh, everyone's progress through 2018 and how they finished the year as opposed to how they started up. Do you think the standards uh, have changed since you, you've been doing the report card issue? Do you, do you think what it takes to earn an A uh, in 2019 is a lot different than in 
2009, I guess. Yeah, I, I think so, because uh, you have uh, – there's just so much more happening. I mean, there's monthly pay-per-views, there's uh, the super shows, there's Raw and SmackDown, and, and so many things going on. Um, it, I mean, there was a time where you'd kind of build up for the big three or four shows, and a wrestler would be in a program or a feud for a little while, and – and you maybe had three or four feuds during the course of the year. Now you can look at one wrestler and they could be in double that or more, um, you know, little programs here and there. And uh, it's kind of harder to assess momentum. I mean, think of it this way. Um, this is one that who, who definitely improved from her report card last year and, and somebody that I'll be interviewing uh, for the new issue of the magazine, uh, Becky Lynch. Uh, Becky Lynch is somebody who for most of the year was – you know, a contender for the title. She was, you know, uh, around the periphery, but not a champion. Charlotte really kind of had the, the belt and Oscar and Carmella uh, on the SmackDown side. But by the end of the year, she was on fire. And, and you really kind of look at, okay, she had a spectacular three months at, at the end of 2018, roughly, maybe four. Um, but uh, kind of mediocre first half of the year. So, you know, how does that weigh into the grading period and, and the, you know, what kind of grade do you give her? Uh, she made a big jump over the 2018 report cards for 2017 uh, based on that. But it, it just kind of shows that a lot can happen in a short period of time. Is it tough for you to give somebody a, a low grade? I mean, there, there's all kinds of um, features over the year where we uh, assess our wrestlers, uh, progress, that kind of thing. Usually we're in the business of, uh, you know, putting somebody over. But when you talk about saying that somebody deserves an F, I'm sure that could uh, ruffle some feathers, right? So I mentioned that's something oh, yeah. that you don't take lightly. No, no. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, if you're going to do a report card, you kind of need to have the Ds and the Fs. I mean, mm -hmm. if everybody gets an A or a B, what, what's the point of the feature? Um, but I've actually had, I had Christopher Daniels come up to me one time, many years ago, and he's like, seriously, C plus, I got a C plus, like he was <laughs> legitimately upset about it. Um, but the thing is, this is not just the, the wrestler's ability. It's really kind of what they've achieved over the course of the year. Right. And, and not a lot of is, surprises, I mean, you can be, right? You know, you're, I mean, right. uh, you know, uh, uh, Okada is not getting an F or, or a D or, or somebody like that, you know? Um, by and large, and and you, and I know you um, you don't really throw those around. You'll see a lot more uh, high grades than than low ones. True. Yeah. True. Although this year there was only one A plus, mm -hmm. uh, and I think maybe two or three Fs. Really. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's it really kind of falls in that that B plus to D range is is really where everybody fell in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, send the, the hate mail to you and, and not to me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the topic of that, uh, I did also want to plug the email. I want to make sure I've got the right email. Uh, uh, PWI at kappapublishing.com. Uh, That's the, the email we're plugging going forward for all things PWI. Uh, send them there, whether you got uh, a question or a comment on the podcast or the magazine. Um, so yeah, I've, I've got a lot coming up in, in the next issue too. um, uh, put together the annual WrestleMania feature, which is always tricky because we've got to come up with something that's kind of evergreen, um, because we got to put the issue to bed before we even know much about what the card is. So, uh, we had some fun with kind of a bunch of mini lists. It's, it's 35 different lists and it's, uh, ranking everything from, the the best WrestleMania Intercontinental Title match to the best WrestleMania Triple Threat match to the best WrestleMania Stare Down the best WrestleMania crowd the best venue 
um, it was fun putting it all together. Uh, so that's going to be a big feature in the next magazine. Uh, and I also put together a Q&A about uh, All Elite Wrestling, kind of answering uh, what are probably the, the most frequently asked question about um, you know, the, the new promotion that everybody's talking about. And uh, frankly, some questions don't have answers right now. So uh, there's a mix of reporting, I think, um, maybe a little speculation. Uh, but but that was fun to put together, too. Uh, and just go to pwi-online.com. Again, for all things PWI, pick up the current issue, uh, subscribe, so you'll get the next one uh, delivered to your, your mailbox or your inbox, uh, I guess, uh, I don't think that's right. <laughs> we, we won't email or, it to or you, left on you the porch. It. Left on the porch in the rain. Yes, if, uh, your mail carrier Damn is uh, no good. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Thanks to, to Stu for getting me another one. Um, again, pwi-online.com. All right, so let's talk uh, a little Royal Rumble and Royal Rumble Fallout. We haven't spoken uh, since then. Uh, you know, first uh, uh, as far as the Rumble itself, uh, I didn't love it, uh, and and I I think it it really gets down to this new trend of uh, the the absurdly long shows. I mean, this thing started at five, pretty much, with the uh, the pre-show, and uh, went to just about midnight. And I remember, you know, and and it's a school night, but because it's a big event, I let the kids stay up typically, and uh, you know, we'll do the the drawing the numbers out of the hat and and whose number wins the rumble. Um, you know, whatever, get some kind of prize or something. So that's kind of a tradition in, in the uh, the castle household. And the kids look forward to it, but it's 11 o'clock and the match hasn't even gotten in the ring yet. Uh, and and you could tell it was even starting to wear on, on Corey Graves' patient when at 11 o'clock uh, there's a comedy bit between Elias and, and Jeff Jarrett. Uh, just brutal. I think it really took away from the enjoyment of the show and uh, especially the, the women's rumble match, which went a good 15 minutes or so uh, or more longer than, than the men's. I think it was 73 minutes total. Oh my God. I mean, I can't think of much of anything that I wanted to do for, for 73 minutes um, and, and much less seven hours, which was the total length of the show. So uh, what, what was your thought on the overall show? And, and just again, this, this new trend of, uh, going ridiculously long. Well, I, I, I think that's a, a an effect of the WWE network. I mean, now that they're not working with pay-per-view providers where you have a hard cutoff at 11 and you begin at 7 or whatever the case may be, um, you know, it, it's, it's like a, a writer without an editor. Um, and, and you need an editor uh, to, to really kind of force you to be succinct and to, to just focus on the good stuff and not let it meander the way it has. And uh, the WWE Network, I mean, they can air whatever they want uh, for whenever they want to begin, whenever they want to cut off. They don't have that outside force telling them, you know, when the cutoff is. Uh, So it it leads to this thing of, you know, everybody on the show, which is great in theory. I mean, you want to have everybody on the show or as many people as possible. But considering how big the roster is, both the Raw roster, the SmackDown roster, the NXT roster, the guest appearances, it's just too much. Um, and, and having two rumbles, I love the fact that there is a women's Royal rumble. And I love the fact that they go an hour. They, they don't kind of abbreviate it. They don't do something, you know, you slept over the top rope and they're, they're using the men's rules. So they're not kind of modifying it, but having two Royal rumbles in one show is just, it's too much. It, it yeah. doesn't, it makes, it waters down both rumbles to the point where neither of them really feel special. Um, it feels like, you know, I mean, I think we predicted it here uh, on the last podcast going in, you know, Rollins and Lynch, and those are your Rumble winners. It, it seemed pretty obvious going in. 
And then seven hours later, yeah, what you expected to happen happened. So it, it was just really kind of a lackluster uh, event, I think. Yeah, and, and I understand and uh, I, I accept and I think it's a good thing that the women do have the, their own Royal Rumble. Uh, if you're going to do it, again, t- two matches that by their nature are going to be an, an hour or so in length on the same show. If you're going to do it, you, you got to be smart about it. Uh, firstly, you got to cut out other stuff on the show. So the, the problem wasn't just that there was two rumbles. It was that there was two rumbles, two world title matches, two women's title matches, a tag team title match. It was just too much, right? So something's got to give. Uh, so so it, it, it needs to be, if you're going to have two one-hour matches, really it needs to be like a four-card match, uh, a four-match card uh, tops. And um, yeah. you also got to space them out. I mean, it, maybe what they got to do is open the show with a Royal Rumble. I mean, as crazy as that sounds, uh, and, and maybe it's the men's Rumble, maybe it's a women's Rumble, maybe they alternate different years. Um, who wins and, and the booking, I, th- I think, will dictate a lot about what you want to close the show with. Uh, but but I don't see why they couldn't have opened the show. Well, I suppose it could have opened the show with a men's Royal Rumble, you know, um, and then closed it with Becky winning. Uh yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't mean a fantasy book here, but uh, the point is there's got to be a better way to do it. And, and uh, seven hours, it's just, it's not okay. I mean, I, I, I always, when, when they do these shows, the, the the saying that comes up in my head is uh, leaving wanting less. That's what WWE loves to do. It's just like, uh, and, and they've, they've done this now for, they do this for, for most of their major shows now, whether it's SummerSlam, WrestleMania. Uh, and I understand the idea of trying to give people value uh, and and that's fine, but you know, quantity does not mean quality. And, and I think one one of the ironic things is that in terms of a model of what works, they do it every uh, major show the night before the major show, major show with NXT, which are uh, tightly booked. They're you know two two and a half hours. They feature about five matches. All the matches get plenty of time, and nobody in the arena or watching on TV complains that they only got two and a half hours for, for their, whatever they're paying dollar. Um, let, let's talk a little bit more about the women's Royal rumble. I was just writing something about uh, this in, in my column. And uh, I thought to some extent in both rumbles, I thought it was a bigger problem in the women's rumble. Uh, it, it uh, didn't do a lot of the women any favors uh, in, in going so long and featuring a lot of very green talent, uh, both in, in WWE's main roster, uh, a lot of the women from, from NXT and developmental. Uh, and they were, I felt like they were kind of hung out to dry. They were put out there in, in uh, the position to not look so great. A, a, a lot of sloppiness, a lot of tripping over each other, a lot of it felt like sort of standing around waiting for your, your cue. Uh, a real disappointment, especially after that first Women's Rumble, which I loved. I thought they executed perfectly, uh, and they took more advantage of the, the returning stars, the legends. And I, and I know you can't go back to that well uh, all the time, uh, but I thought uh, – I just I, – I wasn't a big fan of this match. Yeah, I, I was expecting a little bit more. Um, I mean, the thing is, Battle Royals and Royal Rumbles can be very complicated. I mean, it used to be – I mean, look at some of the battle royals like WrestleMania two, where you had the NFL players and, and other battle, even the first Royal Rumbles. It, it was largely just, you know, everybody would come into the ring, throw a few punches, and then awkwardly hug the ropes and try to topple each other out. And, and they're trying to make the matches a lot more where the person who comes in gets a little bit of offense, gets some, th- you know, it, there's more spots in a battle royal. 
And that takes a little bit more planning and positioning. And when you have people, especially women um, who aren't, a, women's battle royals are still pretty rare. Uh, a lot of these women, I would suspect, were in their very first battle royal, certainly their first Rumble-style battle royal. And, uh, you know, you have to, you're doing that on the national stage. So it, it you expect a little bit of, um, you know, kind of trepidation and, and a little bit of sloppiness in it. Uh, what I really expected, though, more with the women is a, a couple of returns. I mean, I know that they are had Trish and Lita last year, but uh, I really expected to see Victoria. Um, mm-hmm. She is uh, she was here in, in my neck of the woods a couple of weeks ago. She wrestled against Allie um, and, and had a really good match, uh, still in great ring shape. And she said that this is her last year in wrestling. She's retiring after this year. So I thought, hey, this perfect person to bring back in you know she's she's still got the look she can still go she's still in, in great ring shape um and that was kind of a missed opportunity i thought i think there's a few others like that 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 could really help uh get some more character and more uh passion out of the current crop of women that they have uh but for whatever reason wwe just decided to kind of showcase uh their own women give them a couple spots uh some silliness with with hornswoggle and stuff like that which was fun it, it kind of worked it you know popped the crowd um but i thought it was a pretty lackluster uh rumble overall yeah um and and again i th- i think it would have been you know a, a grade or a grade and a half better uh at if it took just a big trim i mean i think that same match condensed into 50 minutes 55 minutes uh would have been a lot better and and with a lot of uh, the worst of it uh cut out i mean i don't I don't think I need to see Alicia Fox going crazy over her hat being stepped on. Uh, that that could yeah. have gone. Yeah. yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, another thing, uh, you know, it's more than a nitpick, uh, but I, it's not the biggest deal in the world. But you know, for, for years, the, the highlight of, of the Rumble, the Men's Royal Rumble, was what's Kofi going to do this year, right? Uh, and uh, to to avoid being eliminated and somehow work his way back into the ring. By the time Kofi got to do his spot – Two other women had already, you know, done basically the same thing. Exactly. Uh, and and yeah. uh, that's just bad booking. You know, th- there was a time, and I think it still happens, right, where guys have to be protective of uh, their finishes. If I'm going to use this move, you can't use the same move earlier in the night. I was just watching The, the Wrestler a few days ago, the old the Mickey Rourke movie from about 10 years ago. Um, and there, there was uh, a scene where... The, the indie wrestlers are going you're working over. you're working the arm All exactly right, oh you're working the arm yeah, 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 yeah i think it's a our, our old friend papadon was in, in that scene um and, yeah. and but that's you do have to do that right i mean to to avoid telling the same story over and over again so how is it on one of the biggest shows of the year and the biggest wrestling promotion of the year that that you know that got by i mean that that should not have been allowed i'll tell you where i'll tell you where that was glaringly obvious to me and, and now here's the thing with with these seven-hour shows, I love the Rumble. I, I mean, the Rumble and WrestleMania are my big two, and then SummerSlam because it's the end of the summer. Right? I mean, I grew up with these, and, and they have this nostalgia factor, and I, I always tune in. Uh, other pay-per-views here or there, I feel a sense of obligation to watch, but those are the, the benchmarks through the year I like to really watch. And what I find myself doing uh, these days with these seven-hour pay-per-views is just I don't go out to watch it. I don't order it. I, I just I have it on my cell phone. And periodically I'll check in, I'll do something else. I'll come over to have the phone charging. Okay. What's going on? Cause I, I, it's just, it's too long, but mm-hmm. this is one thing I noticed. Uh, I paid close attention to the, uh, the Ronda Rousey, Sasha Banks match. Mm-hmm. And there was a spot and you talk about bad booking. Uh, Sasha does a suicide dive outside the ring, um, takes Ronda down, but Ronda recovers and gets her in an arm bar on the floor. 
Sasha taps out on the floor. Now, here's, here's what ends up happening. Ronda, for no reason, releases the hold, goes back in the ring, waits for Sasha to come back into the ring, and they continue the match. Why did Ronda, as the champion, ever release the hold? She's got her, she's tapping out on the floor. Yeah, Ronda's both out. I'm in no danger of losing my title. It's, it's fine. Um, why not hold her on the floor until the count of eight or count of nine and then roll in, win by count of? Um, and then from a booking standpoint, you have your, your baby face challenger tapping out outside the ring only to get pinned later. Like if, if she had tapped out outside the ring and then won the match, then Rhonda could say, well, I had her, she tapped out, but we were outside the ring. It builds interest. Instead they had Sasha lose twice and it, it didn't do anything to help Rhonda because it, it wasn't played up as a big deal that Sasha was tapping out. It was just kind of like this forgotten little spot in the middle of the match. Yeah. And it's just, it's the kind of thing that drives me nuts. Like you were saying, it's the biggest company in the world. It's everything else. Uh, Ronda is probably going to be somebody who headlines WrestleMania is at least the way it looks right now. And if, if I were in charge of, of WWE, if I were there, I'd find the agent of that match and just be like, Hey man, go home. You're fired. Like it made no sense. Why did that, you know, uh, I mean, that may be a little bit extreme, but it, it's just little things like that that just make me think there's no attention to detail, and uh, it, it, it's mind-boggling. Yeah, yeah. And then you had Becky Lynch, who's their their big star, tapping out and losing in, in the first match of the night. Uh, a lot of people had a problem with that too. I, I don't, I don't see it as as big a sin because it was part of a story that that unfolded later. And and I got to say, for all my my uh, problems with the women's Royal Rumble, I thought the closing minutes of it were the best thing of the night better even than the men's Royal Rumble. So uh, when they finally got there, it, it was worthwhile, and, and I thought it was um, the right choice to have Becky back in the match and, and win the Rumble and, and setting up uh, WrestleMania. I thought that was all great, but, man, I mean, I remember when, um, you know, the original Royal Rumble, the, the intervals were uh, two minutes, right? This is 30-something years ago. Uh, and then I yeah. think around 94, 95, they, they cut them in half. And I remember the 95 Rumble that Sean won, uh, they were every minute, and I'm, and at the time thinking like, what a ripoff, you know, like this match, because it was the match that was supposed to be, you know, really long. Uh, even though I don't know that they were ever really two hours, two minutes, but but they were longer. Um, and now all these years later, I would love for them to cut it in half. I mean, I would love for them to. Uh, I, I think a minute is probably just fine, you know. Um, so uh, yeah, that was my my big beef as far as the the men's rumble. I uh, don't have as much bad to say about it but um i think at its best it also wasn't as good as the women's rumble but it was fine i think there was also an issue here with with the match kind of exposing where the men's roster is right now and this isn't uh, like with the women an, an issue of uh experience because i think basically everybody in that match um you know is, is a good solid worker for the most part uh but there was definitely a lack of star power right i mean th that was the thing i mean m most rumbles you have uh, three, four guys or, or more who come in, pop the crowd. Here's here's a, a main event star. Here's a guy who who could win this. Whether it's uh, a John Cena or a Roman Reigns or or back in the day Steve Austin, The Rock, Triple H, whoever, Mankind, and uh, and and because of that the Rumble is usually sort of like bottom heavy. You see those guys come out in the last like third of of the guys. But they just never came out because they don't exist. You know, I mean, that was yeah. what, what was really kind of glaring was you had Seth, you had Braun. Those were like uh, the, the top guys. Um, and then a huge drop off to that that next level of guy. Um, and and 
you know, I think they realize that. I mean, I'm, I'm not telling them anything they don't know, but but it was kind of this, uh, this this moment of realization of they really need to get things going here. I like that you used the Sean O'Hare catchphrase there. I'm not <laughs> telling you anything you don't already know. Was that a catchphrase? Character the yeah yeah that was, it it was, the he was doing the devil's advocate that. character. Oh, it was he, he was when he was in WWE. It was it had a lot of of, of uh, momentum and then it just it died right. Sean but O'Hare, yeah. You, you think you think back uh, to like the 1992 uh, Rumble, the, the Ric Flair winning one, and admittedly that's like one of the all time great ones. But you look at the level of talent that they had in there. You had a dozen Hall of Famers. You know, you had Ric Flair in there with Kerry Von Erich and the Ultimate Warriors in there, and even guys no. like I, I think Sergeant Slaughter, who was, he was past not, his prime, but. No, the Warrior was out of the company. He didn't come back until uh, a Mania later that year. But uh, Sid was in okay. that. Hogan was in that. Flair was in that. Uh, Piper, I think. Piper, Von Erich. Um, yeah. It, it was just like, I mean, it, it was a different era. You had all the territorial things going on and everything. So WWF was bringing in guys from the different territories who were already established stars. So you got to see, like, these kind of dream matches and now everybody's just kind of come up from developmental and, and the, even Steven booking, everybody feels kind of the same, you know, it's just, everybody's the Miz or Elias or, you know what I mean? It's just kind of like this medium, uh, strata and nobody really kind of gets to that top level except for say like a Seth Rollins and maybe a Dean Ambrose. Um, very few others. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, no surprise in that one either. Seth wins, uh, picks uh, Brock Lesnar. So ostensibly we've got Seth and Brock and Ronda and Becky and likely Charlotte. That That's still the talk of it, making it a three-way as your two top matches at WrestleMania. Um, you know, I'm sure it's going to be fleshed out a lot further and, and probably some big surprises, some big names. Uh, but as, as the anchors to WrestleMania, uh, what do you think of those two? I think they're solid. I think they're about as good as WWE's got right now in terms of matches that have been built up to be WrestleMania worthy. Um, I think that they've got talent that could be a, a big factor. Like a, I think a guy like Ricochet could be somebody who could be a uh, intercontinental champion. He, he could he could be somebody who gives you the match of the night if they put him with the right opponent. Uh, obviously, Daniel Bryan with his his current uh, character is is fantastic. Um, you know, they've got the, the, the stars, but I think those are the two marquee matchups that are best positioned at this point. Um, and kudos for WWE for realizing it ahead of time, because you can really kind of see the builds for, uh, Rollins and, and Lesnar going back a couple months. You can definitely see the Becky Lynch and, and Ronda Rousey going back to say October or so. Uh, so it feels like these are organically grown and, and they're building the way they should to WrestleMania as a point as opposed to uh, some years past where you're going into February and the, the card still doesn't feel quite fleshed out. Um, not that the whole card's been announced, but at least the featured matches have been. Do you have any uh, thoughts uh, about what else could be coming down the pike or uh, a wish list? I, I don't see, I feel like every year there's that, that big match that's out there, or at least a big debut last year was just Ronda doing something. Um, and, I don't know what what it is here. You know, I, I you look at at the the parts that are available, and there's not a whole lot to do. I I don't think. I mean, uh, you imagine Cena's going to be involved somehow. Uh, AJ, Daniel Bryan. I don't know if they bring the Undertaker back for something. 
I would I don't know the Triple H is available because of the the injury that he suffered the in, pectoral uh, muscle. Yeah, so I'm I'm not sure if he'd be back by then. He I mean he's on TV. He looks fine. So maybe maybe he can go. Uh, I think they're doing something with Kurt Angle, but that that's been watered down a lot by how they've used him in in the last uh, year or so. So I don't know how much that's really going to carry. And then I don't know. You know, I, I I'm sort of waiting for something, whether it's Conor McGregor or. Um, you know, maybe Dave Batista. Uh, I, I, and and both of those I think are probably legitimate possibilities somehow. But short of yeah. that, I don't know that they really have the the puzzle pieces to put on something uh, really extraordinary this year. But as you touched on in the WWE Network era, maybe it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I mean, the the building. I, I don't. I assume it's sold out. I'm not sure if it has been yet. But I, I mean, it's always either sell out or damn close. I mean, they're, they're going to make their attendance figures. I mean, uh, because WrestleMania is the draw. It, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, people are buying tickets to WrestleMania well before they announce any of the matches on the card. They, they know that WrestleMania is the Super Bowl of wrestling. Um, so yeah, I don't think it matters as much as it used to again, because like you said, the, and I said before the network, uh, the pay-per-view buys don't mean what they used to. It's, it's network subscriptions and TV licensing deals and everything else. So, um, it's going to be successful. Um, they don't really need to uh, go over the top with it in, in terms of marquee names or anything like that. Uh, but it does, from a fan's perspective, not feel necessarily, or at least from a long time fan's perspective. Um, you know, maybe the fans who, who, the millennials or whatever, who have come up with wrestling over the past five, six, seven, eight years are kind of accustomed to it. Uh, but those of us who go back a little bit further, um, you know, it, it feels lacking. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's still time. I mean, um, and I'm sure they'll, they've they got something up their sleeve. I don't know what it is. Usually the Brock match is, is the big attraction. And, um, you know, Seth Rollins is probably as, as big a match as you can do with Brock right now. But even that, I don't know. It, it doesn't feel like a, a main event match. And maybe that's a good thing because... Ronda and and Becky and even if Charlotte's in the mix very much does feel like a main event match so it, it's sort of perfectly set up to put the women on last and and feature uh, the women in a main event spot where it doesn't feel like just glad handing but it feels like this is the biggest match in the company right now it, it should go on last uh so I'm I'm uh, looking forward to that uh you mentioned uh, Dean Ambrose before which, which got me uh thinking uh he's the latest of of a number of guys who uh, either are on their way out, um, have already left, or are making a lot of noise uh, and kind of expressing their, their dissatisfaction and their desire to leave. Uh, clearly, this has a lot to do with AEW uh, because, uh, you know, years ago and really forever, it kind of didn't matter how dissatisfied you were. There was there was one show in town and you had to be there. Uh, but you know, it, it, I think it, it speaks to the changing landscape that guys are uh, and gals are, are a lot more willing to say, yeah, I don't need this. I'm not happy. And, and not just just say it internally, but be out there on social media. I mean, uh, very, very uh, loudly kind of proclaiming uh, problems they have. I think Sasha Banks uh, did that not too long ago. Also, Maria Kanellis, Mike Kanellis, uh, who are some of the others that have been talked about? The Revival. Um, uh, yep. The the uh, I forget his name Hideo Itami the former Kenta, uh, uh, oh, yeah. on on two hundred five live so there is definitely some bleeding that needs to be stopped in in WWE so uh, well and it, 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 go ahead. 
it, it may not need to be stopped. I mean, these, these guys were not really being uh, utilized to their, their best abilities. The Revival is a great tag team, but they've never really been presented as such. Uh, Mike Bennett had a lot of potential, but they, they just, I mean, for whatever reason, they weren't using him. Uh, even Maria could have been used in, in a different role. Uh, her heel uh, authority figure role in, in Impact a couple of years ago was actually really good. She was spectacular in, in that role, and she's just kind of been left with nothing. Um, and, and Hideo Itami has really really done nothing since coming to WWE. He was so heavily lauded and heavily appraised and his work has been okay, but he's never been featured. I mean, it's entirely possible that a WWE fan can have been watching and not really paying attention to 205 Live and wouldn't even know that Atami had been here because he wasn't used yeah. in any main programs. Yep. Um, so maybe it, it's, I mean, WWE doesn't necessarily need to stop the bleeding. It could just be a function of they signed too many people and the talent's there, but they, they don't have a spot for them. So they, they kind of need to go elsewhere. And, you know, the thing is, if you're in WWE and you leave, uh, you get that six month span where um, you can basically set your rate on the Indies and, and you'll make it. And I think that's the thing is maybe kind of these guys can go make some short term money on the independents. And then hopefully something will work out with AEW. And uh, if they're throwing around these big money contracts like they did with Jericho, then, you know, everybody thinks the grass is greener on the other side. So yeah. and maybe it'll help both sides because WWE doesn't need to have as many people on the roster as they do right now. I think one of the interesting things that's developed from from all this is that so, so I mean, wrestlers being unhappy and, and complaining is nothing new, but. Uh, really, for, forever, what would happen is you'd be complained and they'd, you know, tell you, you know, too bad, you know, go stick it uh, kind of thing. And if you weren't getting pushed, maybe you'd get pushed even less uh, back then because they, they they really had all the control, WWE, that is. But what you see now is the revival complaining, saying we're not being pushed. And what happens? They got pushed. Uh, and yeah. the, the, the same thing happened with Andrade Sinyalmas. There was, there was talk that... You know, he, he was expressing that he felt he was being underutilized, not happy there, warning some of his his old friends um, from Mexico, maybe you don't want to come over here. And uh, as soon as that started happening, you started seeing a lot more of Andrade Sinyamas. You saw him inserted in what was what's probably the hottest feud in SmackDown right now with, with Rey Mysterio, and something came of it. So uh, that part, I think, is terrific, uh, that, that it just doesn't become this kind of Mexican standoff where they would be saying... You know, if you want to leave, leave, or or tough, you're in a contract, and we're going to do what we want with you. Uh, you know, going back to, to one of kind of the the people who's responsible for, for this whole change, Cody, you saw it with Cody, you know, and, and that Stardust character that was just death. And, um, you know, I think he made it clear that he wasn't a fan of it, even though he gave it his all. And WWE, you know, their attitude was too bad. You know, this this is what we've got for you. Uh, so that that's a big change. It, it's real clear wh whether they leave or not. Uh, the talent, the wrestlers, have uh, uh, in, in some leverage that they've never had before. Well, I wouldn't say never had, but they haven't had in 15, 18 years. I mean, WCW and ECW mm -hmm. when they were around, and before that, the territories and everything else, where you could and not only could you leave <clears throat> something like the WWF or Jim Crockett Promotions or, or whatever. You were, you were kind of encouraged to because you knew that you'd get stale if you were exposed in the same market for too long. So it was important to uh, to put in a 10-month run if you're not a top guy and, and to kind of go away for a couple of years and cycle back. Uh, and that way, when you did return, it meant something and fans were re-energized to see you. 
now you've got people from Randy Orton and Cena and, and all of that, that the group of guys that have just been around for 15 years, 10, yeah, 15 years for some of them. And it's just like, yeah, uh, big show. I mean, not that he's being used as much, but big show, Mark Henry, Randy Orton, uh, Jericho just left, but he's won uh, triple H. And these are guys who have just been around forever. And yeah, they, they still kind of pop the crowd because they're, they're seen as, as these iconic figures. Uh, but there are even guys like the Miz. He's been around for eight or nine years or so. And it, it's, it, it, it just feels that like, uh, there's no fresh faces. Uh, there's no, you know, so, so maybe the turnover is, is good. Um, you've had so many people where there hasn't been an option to go anywhere else. So they've just kind of stuck around and uh, you just see diminishing returns out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one thing that's going to be happening next several months is the, uh, the roster shakeup after WrestleMania. And you'd, you'd hope that uh, we see some new faces in the mix um, some some call-ups from NXT that I think are long overdue and uh, a real kind of reshuffling of, of the roster. Uh, and you're right. I mean, none of this is is bad. This is all great. It's it's not like when, when WCW went out of business and the landscape was changing and there was new faces appearing in WWE, but you knew in the big picture, this is all bad, right? I mean, this is uh, uh, the the elimination of, of competition and, and basically the, the creation of Monopoly, which is what... We've basically had since uh, uh, the the end of WCW. To some extent, TNA and and some others have were a player for a number of years. But um, if you believe what what the people behind AEW um, are selling, this really is something different. This isn't an, another. Um, you know, we, we've seen loads of, of televised wrestling companies come and go over the last fifteen twenty years. I was just thinking earlier today. Remember. Uh, was it Wrestling Society X or something that was on? Uh, oh yeah, MTV yeah. with and, with ring announcer Fabian Kalen. <laughs> I mean, that was, that, that's a, a a real TV clearance. I mean, they were on MTV, and there was the the XWF, and you know, there there've been tons of these, and even to even to some extent, Luke new John around. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this doesn't sound like that. I mean, it, if if they are to believe. We're talking a major promotion with major money, more money than the McMahons have, um, the, at least the McMahon family behind it. I think the Khan family is something like uh, the 16th richest family in the United States, and I think they're in the top 200 richest families in the world. Now, does that mean you know that they're just going to throw money away? Who I, I don't know, but yeah, they, least... they didn't get to be that rich by backing very foolish, you know, yeah. uh, endeavors. So sure. I, Personally, I, I know that the, there's a lot of hype about AEW, um, and I I mean, I, I really, I know that there's money. There's money there on, on paper, and they're going to sign some big contracts early, but uh, I mean, I think that this thing is, I think it is going to be just like the XWF and, and all of those other ones. I have a very low uh, expectation of this. Um, and I know that a lot of wrestlers want to, you know, believe the hype and, and, you know, there's a money mark out there. Let's go out there and try to get some cash. That, that's good. But if there's not a real wrestling mind or promoter, who's putting it all together, who has a solid business plan, who knows how to kind of grow this and knows TV, um, then I don't think it's, I don't think it's going to amount to much. Yeah. Uh, it, it's sort of counterintuitive, but one of the things that I see in AEW that concerns me, uh, a little 
is too many wrestling people, right? So the the thought is like, uh, and you hear Cody out there, we don't need writers, we don't need that. And I'm not even saying he's wrong, but you need infrastructure. And and that's what WWE has that nobody else has. Go to uh, uh, WWE headquarters in, in Connecticut and, um, you know, see who pulls up and goes into the building. It's just a bunch of working people. It, it's just a, yeah. a major corporation and it is their, their day job. And each one of those person, each one of those people, has some job that supports the company that you'll probably you know never know what they did, uh, but but that's what it takes to to run a a company the size of WWE, and you could have all the faith in the world in the wrestling mind of Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks, uh, what have you, uh, but you need more than that. I mean, you I, I sort of want to see more announcements about non wrestling people um, uh, being being hired. Uh, yeah, they're, they're just not proven in that role. Yeah. I mean, what they do in the ring is great, but, you know, can you be a promoter? Can you be somebody who moves tickets? And yes, they did all in. They, they managed to make that happen. Um, but that was one show, and it, it took them a year to do. I mean, can you make a regular promotion that's going to be able to pay the bills and pay talent and, you know, just do all of the paperwork and everything that's necessary to, to kind of get off the ground? It's I mean, it's a, it's a challenging thing. So. Yeah. I don't good you know good luck to them hopefully they can but uh, I I have very low uh, very low faith in that. Well, I mean I think the upside of of the deep pockets of the Khan family is that they'll have some time, right? So so don't expect a a polished uh, product right out of the gate. Um, it it's going to take some time. And 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 if you look at the origins of of any major wrestling company, it was um, several years before they really hit their their stride. So. Uh, you know, I I don't know that that we can make a fair assessment of where AW is uh, by the end of this year or even next year. Uh, I think the question is, where are they in five years? Where are they in ten years? That's when you can really sort of assess um, whether it was a success or not. So we will see. All right, Dan, you got to get back to work, as do I. Uh, thanks so much for for joining me, um, and uh, we'll do it again soon. Uh, right now, let's hear from uh, the the founder of WWN and Evolve Wrestling and an old friend of the show, Gabe Sapolsky. So let's talk a bit about, I mean, you you, uh, you mentioned it, lots of, of WWE names, NXT names on these shows coming up, and we've seen more and more of them um, on the, the Evolve product on WWN. Uh, I know that this has been a, a relationship that's been in the works for, for, I guess, a couple of years now, but it seems to have reached a whole new point with uh, – my sense is that all those walls have come down in terms of restrictions and anything like that, and it, it really feels more than ever that, that you're kind of one big family. Is that your sense of it now? Yeah, I, I feel that um, this is – what this is is Triple H realizing the value of the independence, and, and he's known this for years. And, and I'd say our relationship started roughly about three years ago. And, and in the first conversation, um, he made sure to, to say how much he did value the independence and how if the independents are strong, that's just good for everybody and, and good for the business. So um, in, in that three years, we've seen a lot of top independent wrestling names uh, go to WWE and NXT, and and on top of that, also sign exclusive deals with places like Ring of Honor, and um, you know there's there's other places that they're going to. So right now we we are kind of in a gap where we're waiting for the new stars to rise up, 
And we've seen guys like Darby Allen and Austin Theory really rise up and, and get to the top there. And A.R. Fox, of course, is, is uh, you know, a mainstay on the Indies and, and always a standard bearer of the Indies. So, so there's still some top guys, but we're, we're waiting for others to come up right now. So while that happens, um, uh, Triple H made it uh, made these NXT stars available to come to a vault to kind of give us the main eventers to sell tickets. And also um, an important factor, too, is these guys are coming here to not just replenish the roster, but also to give experience to the independent talent. So, for instance, you know, you see Darby Allen and Austin Theory. They both were able to be in the ring with Velveteen Dream in September on our shows, and, and it was a huge learning experience for both of them. You know, now having Roderick Strong and Cassius Ono in this weekend, and Cassius Ono was in for us um, last month, like just putting guys in the ring with people with the knowledge of Roderick Strong and Cassius Ono is going to make them better. That's mentorship that really isn't available on the independents right now. So it's it's almost like a trickle-down effect where we're just getting in the ring with these guys are, are, are going to make guys like Darby Allen and Austin Theory and, and Shane Strickland wrestle Cassius Ono the other month, and it's going to make these guys better, which that's going to go to the other independent talent that they work. So yeah. this is really a part of really harvesting the, the talent system on the independents as well. And um, all the credit in the world to Triple H for, for realizing that and making all this happen. And, um, you know, we, we've been able to grow the relationship between Evolve and WWE and NXT and Triple H um, over three years. It's, it's been a, a slow, you know, slow and steady process. And now we've reached that point where we're able to present these kind of shows and, and have this eclectic mix of talent on, on the shows. And also, you know, you can watch it on Club, WW, Club WWN now as well. So, um, you know, it's, it's, new, we're, right? we're in a really great place right now. What, what, that part of it is new, right, that you're able to uh, stream it. Um, yep. Weren't the restrictions in the past about uh, WWE talent on, on video? Yep. Yeah. So, so, so now, so you know. There? I mean, did, did both sides disagree that there's no reason to have these restrictions? Yeah, you know, we, we reached the point in the relationship where, where we've come to an agreement to be able to broadcast these matches. So that's been a huge part as well. And at the end of the day, you know, the people who really benefit are the fans, you know. So it, it serves a, a lot of great um, functions there. You know, we're, we're, we're replenishing our roster right now. You know, we have stars for you to come and see. We're building up the new talent. The new talent's getting the opportunity to learn. And um, at the same time, the fans are now able to watch all this and, and see all of it. And Evolve brings something completely different and new to the marketplace. Um, you know, the Evolve that you saw last year isn't the Evolve you're going to see now. It, it, for lack of a better word, has evolved all this. And yeah. it's just taking time and patience, and that's why we're here. And even like Cassius Ono, he's doing the seminar tryout, the WWN seminar tryout this Sunday in Deer Park, which sold out a couple of weeks in advance as our quickest sellout with them. But, you know, we, we have 30 wrestlers coming in for that, and they're going to get a great deal of knowledge and an opportunity to be booked. So that's another huge aspect to all this is the fact that we've also in the past been able to bring in NXT coaches to these WWN seminar tryouts, and they've been spreading the knowledge there as well. And, you know, that's something that's going to continue in 2019 as well. You know, yeah. it's a top priority for us is talent development. Yeah. Can you envision the day where you're featuring stars from, from the main roster where Daniel Bryan is maybe wrestling on, on an Evolve show? <laughs> you have history with? Yeah, no, I, I think that's uh, – well, you know, you can never say never in, in this business, but I do not see that in the 
foreseeable distant future. Yeah, yeah. Um, has has there been any? Uh, and maybe this is a dumb question, but in in as much as historically the independents are the alternative to WWE and often feature a fan that is, um, you know, identifies themselves as anti-commercial wrestling, anti-WWE. Is there has there been any backlash at your shows? Um, from fans maybe not happy that, that you're featuring some WWE contracted talent? Well, that, that's a great question. And, yeah, I mean, we – well, first let me start by saying that one of the reasons we really dove into this is that the fans did speak with the ticket sales. When we had Adam Cole defend the North American title uh, at Evolve in June, um, that drew three times as many fans as we normally get in Melrose, Massachusetts. In September, when we had Velveteen Dream in, we, we, our September weekend, about 10 days out, we had 40 tickets sold for the show in Joppa, Maryland, and about 140 tickets sold for the show in Queens, New York at Laboom, which is our best building, and 140 tickets is, is, was, a, was a big dip. You know, we had just lost Matt Riddle, Keith Lee, and, and Zach Saber Jr., who were kind of our big three stars earlier in the year, but, but Riddle was just gone, and Lee, and Keith Lee was gone a couple months at that point. So we were way down. We announced Velveteen Dream about 10 days out, and we ended up breaking a record in Joppa, Maryland, our attendance record there, and also setting a new attendance record in Laboon. So the fans have really spoken and, and made it clear that, that you know, they're going to support a product with these talents on it, and especially in this unique environment of independent wrestling. Um, but at the same time, that, yeah, at the same time, you know, there are some diehard fans that, uh, you know, I, I, they voice their opinion on Twitter very loudly to me. And, um, they, they, you know, they, 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 this is not the kind of wrestling that, uh, or this is not, you know, what they're looking for at the present time. So, you know, they, they, we, we've lost some people, but at the same time, you know, when you look at those ticket sales and where our business is and the overall buzz and excitement over the product, you know, we've lost a few fans, but we've gained a lot more. And, you know, it could be expected, you know, I compare it like Radiohead you know, completely changed who they were from album, right, from one album to the other, you know? Yeah, yeah, I remember being in, in high school when uh, Green Day really hit, and uh, the fans uh, of, of theirs before it really became commercial, you know, completely abandoned them, felt betrayed, so I imagine you, you might be, you know, the the whole sellout thing, right? You must be uh, dealing with, uh, <laughs> on, on both, both uses of, of the word, right? Um, yeah, but, you know, I'll, I'll sell out the arena, so it's fine. And it's to be expected. And honestly, too, like, I was bored with the Evolve product. And, like, I know if I'm bored with it, like, the fans are going to be bored with it, you know? we So, like, I needed something new on the booking-wise. And, and now I feel like I'm at day one again. I feel completely rejuvenated. I'm super excited about the brand and the product. And, like, I needed that influx. You know, I needed to evolve myself. And the fact is that you just can't keep doing the same thing year after year in the entertainment business. You know, the entertainment business is always moving forward. You know, you, you, you look at some of the best acts in wrestling, too. They always change. Look at Daniel Bryan just did. You know, overnight he changed. And to me now he's completely fresh and, and hotter than ever. You know, I texted him. I think the new Daniel Bryan is, is brilliant. You know, and you have to do that to stay relevant. And we reached the point where, you know, the fans spoke. We had 40 tickets sold for our one show. You know, like we needed to change, and I, if I'm feeling bored with the product, and I know the fans are, so you know, it's just the natural evolution of things. And when you do change, you are going to lose some people. You know, Rush 
loses, you know, changes with every album. You know, Neurosis, who's my favorite band, you know, they changed with every album, and they were a punk band, and then they introduced keyboards, and they lost the whole punk audience, but here they are 20 years later, and they're still going strong, you know? I brought up the Radiohead example, the same thing, and it's just one of those things where, like, I felt I needed a change, the fans had spoken with their with the dollar sign, and, like, we just need to move forward, and unfortunately, we did lose some people, but, you know, maybe they'll they'll look at it and say, oh, well, well, this is Darby Allen against Roderick Strong at the NYWC Sportatorium, you know, or this is the Street Profits coming to Laboom, like, this is cool and exciting stuff, so maybe once they kind of get over that initial shock, you know, they'll, they'll give it a shot again, and if not, I feel they're just going to miss out, and that's unfortunate, but, you know, it is what it is. What, why did you feel bored? Was it uh, just just you weren't creatively inspired? Did it have to do with losing as much talent as, as you did? Yeah, I mean, we were just kind of doing the same thing, you know, and, and you can't just keep doing the same thing. Um, we, we had based our, our – we did a rebirth kind of in 2016, <clears throat> excuse me, where it was based off kind of the grappling style and pure wrestling style. And, you know, we had Drew Gulak then and Tim Thatcher and <clears> – <throat> I'm sorry, and, um, you know, uh, Biff Busick, who's now only Lorkin, and um, Tracy Williams and a lot of other names. And, you know, we did that for a couple of years, and it gave us an identity, but then we lost a lot of those guys and also, like, just uh, people had seen the style, you know. It, it kind of played out, so then we kind of moved on to, to kind of a mix of everything, and we didn't really have that strong of an identity for a while because, like, it was kind of a lot of the same talent you see other places and the same matches. Um, I felt we, we did have a competitive advantage just in our show format and stuff, but then doing that show format and everything kind of ran its course. So it's just a matter of, you know, coming up with what the next thing is. And a few months ago, the next thing wasn't really clear to me. And now with having this opportunity to have top NXT guys on top while we bring new talent up underneath and also kind of be able to to, to teach and develop and, and spread this knowledge that otherwise isn't available, this is all very exciting to me. And at the end of the day, it, it is all about giving the fans the most for their money, the most value. You know, the, the one thing I always cherish, and I, I always say, the second you do not cherish this, you need to leave the business, is the fact that when someone comes to your show, they're giving you their hard-earned uh, leisure money and time. And to me, leisure money and time is the most valuable thing someone has. I mean, they work all week. They got one night, maybe they get to go out and enjoy themselves. They have a budget for that, and they've chosen to, to give you that time and money. And you need to deliver more than, than more value than what they're paying every single time. And now I feel that we are in the best position to do that. Yeah, yeah. When, when you talk about having struggled uh, at the box office at some shows before uh, moving this relationship with WWE to, to the next phase where it's at now, do you think some of that was that, that WWE was sort of cannibalizing um, the independence? And, and that's something that's been talked about for years, that whatever it was that fans were getting from, from the independence, that, that alternative to WWE, they've been uh, uh, getting to some extent from WWE um, in, in the form of, of NXT. Uh, so th- did it feel like some of that was going on? I mean, we're not no, kind of co-opted this? No, because I, I hate that whole WWE cannibalizing the independence. The, the, the purpose of the independence is to develop new talent and give new talent the stage to become superstars. It's not to have superstars. Like, 
the – of course you need guys on top that are going to draw and guys to get there. But everyone reaches a point in their career where they've done everything they can do on the independents. For instance, Matt Riddle, you know, it was three years. He had wrestled everyone that he could wrestle on the independents. There was, there was nothing left for him to do. So you can either have this guy, you know, flying around the world every week, being away from his family – busting his ass, dragging a giant suitcase of shirts around, um, and wrestling the same guys over and over again, which inevitably is going to make him stale, or it's time for him to move on, and it's time for – then it becomes – right, if Matt Riddle's on the show, the main event's occupied. But now the main event is up for grabs, which mm-hmm. should make all the talents underneath very, very hungry to grab it. And I've been doing this since 2002, okay, on the independents. I've been, you know, ECW before that, but it wasn't the independent world. But as far as, you know, Ring of Honor, we started that in 2002, and I've been doing this consistently since then. And uh, I can't tell you how many times I've heard, you know, the sky is falling. All these guys are going to WWE. They're, they're signing everybody. You're, you you know, you lost Spain, you know, it was Brian Kendrick in 2002. You know, that was Paul London in 2003. Then, you know, we lost all the TNA guys. Then... You know, I lost the whole promotion when I fired with Ring of Honor, and I started an entire new roster from scratch. So, like, if you and, – and every time that happens, it breathes new life into everything. It makes everything fresh again. It gives you new matches. We, we kind of hit a gap right now where we do need those NXT stars to fill the top spots right now. But that we're going to see new guys rise up. So, like, the whole – cannibalizing, you know, this, this and that, like, to me, like, it's just all nonsense. It's up to us as bookers and promoters to get more creative and to give talent more of an opportunity to work with talent closer, to, to spread that knowledge, um, to let those guys rise up. And, and to me, that's the most exciting thing about independent wrestling is watching those guys become stars. And even go back to the ECW days. I mean, that's what people loved about ECW was, when, you know, the Dudleys became stars or, you know, I was there when Sabu burst on the scene and, and made everything new and fresh in 1994 and then public enemy. And then every, you know, everyone freaked out Sabu was gone and public enemy came in and became top stars and, and so on and so forth. It's, it's part of the life cycle of the independence and, and the food chain. So, you know, that's why when I, I hear this cannibalizing stuff, I've been hearing it since 2002 and it, it, it's not WWE cannibalizing anything. It's a failure of talent to grab those spots or bookers, promoters to create something exciting. And yeah. year after year, new talent rises to grab those spots and new bookers and promoters or, or even old bookers and promoters might come up with new ideas to keep things excited. So, so it's on us. You, you, and, and, and these, as you touched on, have always filled that role, right? Of being a feeder system um, to, to WWE, but, usually do it sort of unofficially, right? I mean, they, they um, guys reach a certain uh, plateau, and, and that is the next step. Um, in, in the role that you're in now, which is, is kind of unprecedented, even though I guess there was something of a relationship like this with, with ECW back in the day when, when you were there, it, it, it's more an, an official um, uh, arrangement. So does that put added pressure on you, uh, you know, not only to, to put on your own shows, but to produce that next NXT star um and and do you um any concerns about maybe some of these guys falling through you know you got a guy who we are very hot on he goes over to WWE and maybe it doesn't translate does that make you look bad does that make uh, uh wwn look bad uh, is that happening at all no i have zero concerns when it comes to that i have a 
very high level of confidence um, in, in everything that we do. And, um, you know, I, I think the main thing now is that we do have kind of a, a an official pipeline. Yeah. Um, for years, I, I've, I've had talent ask me, you know, how do I get to WWE? And, I mean, years, you know. It's not like people's goals are ever to – to be on the independence their entire lives. Eventually, you need to go there to make money. Um, I think you need a certain level of experience on the Indies, so let me state that right now. I, I think that there's a lot of benefits to being on the independence for a number of years, but when it's time to go, it's time to go. Uh, Drew McIntyre is a huge example of that. He needed to come back to the Indies to, to, to you know, rebuild his career and become reborn again, and he did that over the course of two or three years, and then he had reached a point where he, he had wrestled everybody and done everything he could, and it was time to go. Um, so to answer your question, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's a concern at all. Um, but I think the big positive now is there is more of a, a pipeline and, and a, a road and a direct route for wrestlers to follow. And, you know, it's, it goes through Evolve. So that's something that, that I think is a huge benefit to everything. Yeah. Let, let me ask you about one of the guys who, who went over there. You mentioned him before, a guy who – uh, early on in the days of, of Evolve, played a small Gargano uh, and in Dragon Gate. And um, I, I know yourself and, and followers in the independent team have been talking about Johnny for many, many years, and we're excited for him to come over um, to NXT. But it feels like 2018 in, in particular was really a breakout year for him. I mean, it started uh, in, in January with, with what is still the best match I've seen all year. Uh, with him, Andrade um, King Almas, and for for a while there, I mean, people were talking about him as one of the great baby faces of all time. There was comparisons to to Ricky Steamboat. Um, can you talk a bit about that? I mean, I mean, how much pride did that give you in seeing him uh, uh, reach that level? And is it something that you saw in him from way back when? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't like to use the word pride because that implies you're kind of taking credit for it. And and Johnny's put in the work, and and I've seen him. You know, he he started in the the pre-show at the first Ranga USA show, and he just kept make, making the most out of every opportunity put in front of him. And then I, I remember we were at the Congress Theater in Chicago before a show, and he pulls out this Tupperware container of chicken. And I go, what are you doing? And he goes, ah, I started this new diet. He goes, if, if I want to get to the next level, i got to commit to this, and, and i got to change things up. And, and, you know, he changed his body. He changed his appearance. He added his charisma. He... He, he's the one who made all those sacrifices and put in all the work. So when I see him where he is right now, I'm super happy for him because um, I, I know he's earned it and he's, he's such a great uh, guy too. Um, so, um, you know, going back to what you, you were saying, like, um, you know, Johnny's an example of a guy who's, who's, who's kind of had his run on the Indies. You know, he did everything he could. He was Durango USA champion. He was Evolve Tag Team champion. He was the face of Evolve. Um, he gave us years, and he gave us one tremendous match after another. Then he went to NXT, got his foot in the door there. He started as a tag team with Champa. You know, they earned everything they got. And, again, he kept making the most out of every opportunity. He kept getting a little, you know, a little more, a little more, a little more. And then it culminated when he went singles. And, and this year, you look at it, I mean, he's got to be right up there for most most outstanding wrestler of the year. I don't think anyone's had a better year than him with big matches when you consider the almost and Trump matches and now we're going into 2019 and he's got this dark side to him as well so there's an example of a guy who keeps evolving and moving forward as well with who he is and, and what he does yeah yeah and, 
and you mentioned being uh, reluctant to sort of say that you're proud of of Johnny, but but I imagine you're you're happy to say that you're proud of what uh, Evolve has become. And um, as you touched on, it's, it's how many years is it now since you left Spring of Honor? Um, it's ten. So we just passed the, the ten. To the, yeah, the ten years was in October. And I remember when that happened, and, and um, Evolve came shortly afterward. And and whether you viewed it that way or not, I know the perception was this is Gabe. Uh, kind of trying to give give the middle finger to the Ring of Honor, really prove that that uh, uh, you could go out on your own, and it felt like Evolve was more than a promotion; it was supposed to be a, a statement. And ten years later, I mean, you guys doing as well as you're doing, and, and having this relationship with with WWE, th- does it feel like vindication? Um, it feels like a comeback because I, I wouldn't agree with giving you know, ROH or middle finger or is me trying to eat, you know, <laughs> I had, I had done this since 1994, you know, I, I left college and went right in the ECW and I, I never had any other job, you know? So, um, you know, it, it wasn't easy, you know, it was 2008 when we were in the middle of that awful economy and gas prices were super high and everyone was cutting back. And here I was, you know, trying to find a job and, you know, you fill out your resume and, you go okay well what do you do and uh, you know I could play it off like it was marketing or whatever but you know I I wasn't prepared to to, you know everything was entry level I was talking about going in and cold calling and selling insurance for 40 hours a week and cold calling for 40 hours a week you know those those were the you know my friend tried to get me a job as a mortgage broker sitting there every day you know like there was there you know those were the options so of course I'm going to stick to what I feel I'm good at and what I know and now it's starting a new promotion. But, yeah, I would definitely say it it wasn't it, – it, it it does feel like a comeback. And, and there were a lot of hard times over the last 10 years with Evolve and Dranky USA. There was a lot of times we were on death's door and, and it looked like our last show. Um, so so we did persevere through a lot. And that's, you know, Sal Hamway, my partner, and, and Evolve and, and WWN and everything – and, and I and, and we moved forward, you know, we, we kept marching forward like a tank, you know. Um, so so I would say that that it, it was a comeback and it is something that I, I am really proud of. But at the same time, it's something I never take for granted because I realize it can all end tomorrow as well. Um, you know, you never know what tomorrow is going to bring. So I enjoy being in this moment right now and the fact that, you know, I, I, I was able to, to climb back up and get to this point. Can, can you feel any pride for, for Ring of Honor and, and what they've accomplished, obviously, Madison Square Garden uh, next year? And I think you tweeted something about it, which, which was very uh, gracious. But do, do you feel just completely removed from that, that was a different life, a different world? Or is there a bit of you that feels some pride in seeing them um, achieve what they have? Uh, it, it's it's weird. It's kind of it's hard to explain. It's kind of mixed feelings because – at one time, you know, Ring of Honor is a company that my wife and I named sitting on my sofa in my old one-bedroom apartment. And, you know, I, I do watch the show every now and then, and they started off with the Code of Honor. And, you know, I remember writing that in my notebook and everything. But then I turn around, and at the, at the you know, other time, it's a completely different company right now. You know, that the company that it is right now, and I'm not just talking, you know, in Ring, I'm talking mostly behind the scenes, is, is absolutely completely different um, than when I was there. So I, I wouldn't say there's any pride or anything like that. I just kind of like, it's this thing I kind of did for in my 30s, you know, for, for six or seven years. And, you know, we grew it to a certain point, and it, it definitely wasn't going to get to where it is today with who we had back then. 
And now it's a it's a new company that just kind of has those remnants still kind of hanging around in that history. Yeah. Your, your vision for Ring of Honor at the time, does that carry over into what Evolve is now? Or, um, you know, when, when you started Evolve, was the vision for something completely different? And, and is, is that what it is now? Yeah, I mean, the vision was definitely to do something different with Evolve. Um, you know, I, I learned a lot of lessons from, from Ring of Honor. Um, and going back to, to, you know, what I say is you always kind of have to move forward as well. You know, you can't keep rehashing the past. Now, I think if you watch closely, you'll definitely see some tricks that I used in Ring of Honor, uh, you know, even present day with Evolve and everything. You know, I still go back to some of my, my booking standbys and everything. But, I mean, that's just all kind of in-ring kind of stuff. Um, but, yeah, the, I'm also a big believer in, in don't do a promotion unless you're going to bring something new to the marketplace. And with Dragon USA, you know, we brought something new to the marketplace. With Evolve, when that started, it, it started because – we had I, I saw this whole new generation of great young talent like Ricochet and Gargano and, and Chuck Taylor at the time too, and um, I, the list goes. Brody Lee was there, who's now Luke Harper, and and Dean Ambrose, that's John Moxley, and you know the list goes on and on. I'm missing a bunch of guys, but like we didn't quite have the the, the forum to put them on Dragon USA because we. Um, you know, we, we had the Japanese talent. So Evolve kind of started out of that. And that's, that, you know, we saw that we could start something new with this new talent. And the Evolve show, show formats were different, much different than what I did with Ring of Honor um, right off the bat. So, again, you got to add something new to the marketplace. And that's kind of where I feel like we got in trouble with Evolve maybe, you know, six months ago or 12 months ago that we weren't bringing anything new to the marketplace. We were kind of, okay, we had a cool show format that was a lot tighter than a lot of places but it's still a lot of the same people and everything. And now when you look at the shows, you know, this Saturday in Queens and this Sunday in Long Island, like there's no one else that can present these type of shows, you know? So now we are bringing something completely new and fresh to the marketplace. So I, I don't like to move backwards. I always kind of like to move forward. Yeah. Most, uh, well, I'm looking forward to it. I, I hope to be at at least one of the shows, uh, the one in Deer Park, uh, if I can make it there. Uh, awesome. So. It sounds to be a, a fun weekend. Uh, before I let you go, one, one quick question because you, you mentioned them a couple of times and, and I had forgotten about them somewhat. Uh, what if it became of Dragon Gate? I, 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 Dragon Gate USA, at least. I know it was uh, kind of on hold. I might have been at one of the last shows that you did in, in New York, uh, in Queens, it feels like maybe four or five years ago. Um, yeah, it's it just we, we kind of when we started the airfares were were seven hundred bucks to bring over the Japanese talent, and by the end they were up to twenty five hundred dollars a talent. Wow. So yeah, it just it did it wasn't economically feasible at that point, you know. And I, I kind of feel you know it, everything kind of has a shelf life, you know. Um, and it's it at that point like people had seen everybody from Japan and. You know, we, we might have just hit the wall as far as that goes, although we were still doing good numbers, dependence-wise. Um, in a lot of places, we had good shows and bad shows, which you always do. And, um, you know, that's something that drives me crazy, too, is when fans point out, oh, you still got first-star tickets for this show. It's like, yeah, you're going to have hits and misses. You know, that's part of the yeah. business. So you can always focus on the misses if you want to make everything sound bad. But, you know, we had some hits and misses. But the bottom line is just with the increased airfare, and the expenses, it just it wasn't economically feasible anymore. Is, is there a potential for, for a one-off reunion down the line? I guess you're coming up on the, on the 10th anniversary of, of Dragon Gate USA, right? Or, or did, we already, did that already pass? Um, yeah, I guess we – well, yeah, I guess it's coming up in 
and yeah, next year. So oh, that's interesting. I never thought of yeah. actually just putting ideas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's always potential for everything. I never rule out any possibilities. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, thanks so much for taking the time. I appreciate it, Gabe. Always fun to talk to you. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Okay, absolutely. Take care. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye.